0: You know, God is great, Amen. and we, we love the fact that we can come together and worship Him. And, and um, you know, this morning, I'm going to be in the book of Colossians, and I hope you have your scripture, and we we'll take it out and open it up to it. We're just going to camp out there for just a little bit this morning. You know, there was a truck driver who uh, was hauling a load of uh, 50 penguins uh, to the zoo, and uh, unfortunately, his truck broke down. And uh, so he, he waved down another truck driver and he got him to, he told him, he said, I'll pay you $500 to take these penguins to the zoo. And uh, the next day he saw the, the, first, the first truck driver, saw the, got his truck fixed and he went into town and he saw this other driver um, and he was walking, crossing the street and he had 50 penguins walking single file waddling behind him. And uh, he was outraged by it. He said, what's going on? He said I gave you $500 to take these penguins to the zoo. And the fellow answered he said, "Well, I know. I took them to the zoo. And we had enough money left over that we're going to the movies now." <laughs> you know, I think that's interesting because it speaks to purpose. That guy didn't fully understand what he was supposed to be doing. And likewise, many believers today are fuzzy about their sense of purpose, of what we're here for, what we're supposed to be doing. You know, the Apostle Paul, he was a practical man. And Paul believed that the purpose of understanding Christian teaching, the purpose of understanding Christian teaching was for Christian living. I think that's big. Because he wanted the Colossians to find the strength to live in the teachings of Christ and and, and the Christian faith. And there's benefits to that kind of teaching. There's benefits when we learn why we're here and what we're here for. And this morning I want to encourage you in purpose. To be about what God wants us to be about here and now. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 24. And I'm going to read down through chapter 2, verse 5. So there's a few verses there. So if you will follow along and read with me. This is what the Apostle Paul writes. He says in verse 24 of chapter 1, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit so that I may fully carry out the preaching of the Word of God. That is the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but now has been manifested to His saints to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim Him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ for this purpose. Also I labor, striving according to His power, which mightily works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf. And for those who are at Laodicea, and for all those who have not personally seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love, and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ Himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this so that no one will delude you with a persuasive argument, for even though I am absent in body, nevertheless I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith. In Christ. Loving Father, I thank you for your word to us. And I thank you for how your word challenges us. And Father, I pray that this morning that as we focus on your word, that that you would examine our hearts, Holy Spirit. Father, that, that you would show us the areas where we need to do a little more. Father, those areas where we need to turn over control to you, Father, those areas where we've not confessed you, I pray, Father, that you would do that in and through your word and through our time this morning, we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. You know, I, I love this passage because really Paul gives us what every Christian needs in this passage. What every Christian needs. And, and first I want to submit to you that he talks about joy in suffering. Joy in suffering. Verse 24 says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do, not, I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church. And, and I love that because suffering always cover, colors our life. It colors life. And as believers, we can choose the colors. We're never promised that our Christian faith will eliminate suffering. But we are promised that we would have joy in the midst of suffering. This is huge because we we need to understand this. Because this verse makes clear that Paul saw suffering as part of the job description for the Christian That if you want to live a godly life, you will suffer. It's part of it. And he's saying, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. He willfully, Paul willingly and and willfully, joyfully suffered on behalf of others for the sake of the gospel. And notice that he begins that verse with the word now. He says now. And that does more than just provide a transition. Paul is rejoicing precisely because of what he has just written, but also he's rejoicing now at that present time because he was in prison. He was in prison for teaching and preaching the gospel. And he's saying, my sufferings on your behalf, on behalf of the church. But understand, brothers and sisters, there is a cost. Salvation is free, but there is a cost. The cost isn't about salvation. It's the cost of serving the Lord. What does it cost you to serve the Lord? What does it cost you? What have you sacrificed? What have you suffered in order to serve the Lord? You see, that's where the cost comes in. It's the cost it takes to reach lost people with the gospel. It's the cost that it takes to build up other Christians, to make disciples. There's a cost involved. See, when Paul talks about filling up in his flesh what is lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions, He's not implying that there is some kind of deficit, that there is some kind of insufficiency in what Jesus Christ did at the cross. That's not what he's saying. The word afflictions is never used. It is never used of the sufferings of Jesus on the cross. But instead it refers to the pressures of life. (laughs) The afflictions that we go through. Christ suffered in death to save the church. And now Paul suffered in life to spare it. I like the way John Piper put it. He put it this way. He said, Christ suffered on the cross to accomplish salvation. We suffer to spread salvation. I think that's huge. That's big stuff. But did you notice the word rejoice in that verse? I mean, Paul wasn't angry with the Colossians. He wasn't angry at them. He wasn't, he wasn't saying, You bad people, look at you. Look at all the suffering I have to do for you. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, With joy I suffer so that others can hear the gospel. With joy I suffer so that the body of Christ can be built up. With joy I suffer so that disciples can be made. You see, we don't want to suffer for anything. We don't want to suffer for nobody. But Paul was glad to pay the price. He was joyful to suffer for the sake of the gospel. You know, most of us, we try to get rid of suffering. We try to relieve it. We try to to do away with it when it comes, you know, our way. When we're in pain, we want to relieve it. We want to do away with it. But Paul was different. He found joy in what he suffered. You know, sometimes we can get pretty cranky when it comes to suffering. We like to complain. And we'll complain to anybody who will listen about what we're going through and what's happening. And I love this because Paul was different. He found joy. You know, we we might say things like, well, how come I have to suffer when so-and-so doesn't have to suffer. You know, they're, they're getting along just fine. And it kind of messes with our sense of fairness. Of what we think is fair. But now let's weigh that. Let's weigh that against the cross. Now let's talk about fairness. About what we suffer for the sake of the gospel. Listen, the hearts the hearts of the people in the early church were noticeably on fire for Jesus Christ. They couldn't help but be on fire. They, they had seen things. And, you know, they were, they were, I want to call them Jesus freaks. These full blast believers, these full blast disciples, they went through very horrendous things. And then they would break out into praise songs to Christ, to Almighty God, that he found them worthy to to, to endure that. Oh, we just want to get away from it. Do you remember when Peter and John were arrested a second time for preaching Jesus Christ? Acts chapter 5 verse 40 and 41 says, They took his advice, and after calling the apostles in, they flogged them. That sounds like a painful situation. They flogged them and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and then released them, so they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. Wow. When was the last time we rejoiced in suffering for Christ? That was Peter and John. What about Paul and Silas? They got in trouble for casting a demon out of a a fortune-telling girl. And as a result, they were beaten with rods. It says in Acts 16, verse 22 and following, it says this. It says the crowd rose up together against them and the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. They had, when they had struck them with many blows they, they threw them in the prison commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, after receiving such a command threw them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But about midnight Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Even though they were being beaten, even though they were suffering, they were praising God. I mean, how can we be crazy like that? How can we do that? To give God praise even in the midst of suffering for the cause of Christ. You know, Hebrews 12 tells us, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. The author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Wow. Consider him. Consider Jesus. Folks, that's what we need to do. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus. We need to focus on him. Look at what he's done. And you know what? We need to find joy in our suffering. Whatever it is you're going through, he knows. He knows where you're at. And he knows what's happening. What every Christian needs, some joy in suffering. We also need faithfulness in service. Look at verse 25 in Colossians. It says, Of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God, bestowed on me for your benefit, that I might fully carry out the preaching of the Word of God. See, Paul spoke about his concept of service when he said that he was a servant of the church and a steward of God. He was a servant and his calling was To fully make known the word of God. (laughs) You know, I recognize my responsibility to preach the word of God in its fullness. You know, there's times where, oh yeah, there's passages I would like to preach. And there's other passages I might like to avoid. But you know what? As a minister of the gospel, I need to present the whole counsel of God I don't need to to shirk away from communicating the Bible even when it's not popular. Someone said that a pastor's job is to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. So this morning, I don't know if you're the afflicted or the comfortable. But I'm preaching the whole counsel of God. See, that's why... I believe that Paul would agree with that, that statement. Because we preach about heaven, but we also preach about hell. That's why we proclaim Jesus is the only way to have a relationship with God. And that's why we unashamedly commit to the sanctity of life, of human life. Because we believe that each one of us is made in the image of God. And that is important. Even if it's not popular in our society, that's important. It is truth from God's word and we need to hear it. See, we are to proclaim God's message in our faithful living. It means serving others is the outward expression Of Christ living in us. When we are willing to sacrifice and to serve others. You know the false teachers at Colossae. They they believed that spiritual perfection was a hidden plan. And and really a, a mystery if you will. That only a few privileged people could discover. And so Paul defines this mystery as God calling all people everywhere to faith in Christ, both Jews and Gentiles. And the mystery, he says, is this, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ living in us, the hope of glory. And I love this because he says the word proclaim here, it refers to an official proclamation, like when someone would speak. For the emperor. An official proclamation. When he says in verse 20, uh, 28, he says, We proclaim him. He's proclaiming, it meant like an official business was being spoken, and therefore it needs to be accurate, it needs to be clear, and it needs to be with authority. Folks, when we present the gospel to others, we need to proclaim Jesus Christ, and it needs to be accurate, it needs to be clear. And it needs to be with authority. I think this is, this is important stuff. Because an effective presentation of the gospel always includes both warning and teaching. I mean, the warning is this, is that without Christ, without Jesus Christ in their life, people are lost And they're going toward the agony of hell. Without Jesus Christ, people are headed to the agony of hell. You see, God does not send anyone to hell. We are already on that path going toward hell. The fact of the matter is is that God has made a way where we can turn around and we can go toward heaven and toward him away from hell. In His love, He did that for us. And our salvation is only available by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That's God's deal. He's the one who made that possible through His Son. See, the goal of proclaiming Christ is warning and teaching and Paul says here, so that we can present every man, every person, complete in Christ. And I want to say that Paul was a perfectionist in this sense, that he desperately wanted everyone to be complete in Christ. And what he means by the word complete or, or perfect there, it means full grown or spiritually mature. See, our job as a church is not just to warn or, or even to teach We do those things in order to create spiritually mature Christ followers. Our job as a church is to create spiritually mature Christ followers to make disciples of Jesus Christ. See, we should all be in the process of growing and becoming more like Jesus every day. And our focus is not on numerical growth, but on spiritual growth. That each one of us would be spiritually mature in Christ. See, we're not here to build buildings. We're a teaching hospital. We're a rescue mission. We want to build believers. And we're all about transformation. Not just about information. We're about transformation because discipleship is where it's at. Becoming disciples of Jesus Christ. You know, I understand that the, the Geico 500 at Talladega is going on this afternoon today. Big race thing, and I'm not a huge NASCAR fan or even a, a racing enthusiast. Although I do get excited about bored-out engines and hopped-up cars with tons of horsepower... But I am aware of a phenomenon called drafting. And in those races, what happens is, in drafting, one car tailgates the other really close to the back end so that, so that it reduces the amount of air uh, flow on that second car. And basically, they're both in the same pocket. They're both in the same air pocket. And so with that, with, by doing that, they both can travel faster. And I think that's huge because I want to get as close as possible In behind other Christians that God has used to help me to grow better and to move quicker in my life. I want to be drafting behind people who are a good example of the the model of Jesus Christ. You should want that too. Because it will help you to grow better and it will help you to move faster in what God is calling you to do. See, I want, if you want your life to make an impact. Become a disciple maker. I mean, if we're serious about moving people to maturity, if that's our purpose as a church, we can't be passive and we can't be lazy about it. We have to be intentional about doing that. And it means investing in other people's lives. So start investing in others today. You know, I'm continued... To be amazed at how God would allow me to experience salvation through Jesus Christ. Because I don't deserve it. And neither do you. But he calls us to that. He calls us to himself. And when we contemplate how big this truth is, we will engage our time, our talents, our treasures, and we will serve accordingly when we understand the purpose of why we are here. One of my favorite things as a pastor is to watch believers get fired up to serve in areas that's a perfect match for what God has created them to do. I love seeing that when someone discovers their purpose. And they're able to do that and to do the things that God created them to do. And I I love that. So I, I ask the question, are you serving according to your calling? If not, you don't know what you're missing. Because God has created each of us for specific tasks, to do specific things. And as we serve, then we come to this third purpose of what every Christian needs. And that is an eager concern for others. In verses 1 through 5 of chapter 2, Paul was concerned about the welfare of the Colossians. And he didn't hesitate to express it. He wanted their hearts to be strengthened. He wanted them to be... uh, to love each other and to be knit together in that love, and, and to labor means to grow weary through hard work. The, the word "struggle" that he uses in verse one he sa- of chapter two, he says, "For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf." See, this word "struggle" comes from the root word in Greek, which just translated agony. The agony I have. See, both words were used of athletes competing in the arena or maybe of a laborer who was working out in the field to the point of exhaustion. <laughs> Paul used the same word at the end of his life as he was reflecting on his life. In, in 2 Timothy 4, he says this, he says, I have fought the good fight. I've, I've finished the course. I have kept the faith. He struggled to do all of this. He, he, he took care of it. And, and you know, he was exhausted by that. But listen, we will totally exhaust ourselves for our children and our families. You know, basically our legacy. We will totally exhaust ourselves for them. We will totally exhaust ourselves to make money. Our fortune. We will totally exhaust ourselves for success on our jobs. Call it fame. We will totally exhaust ourselves to build up and to improve our castles. Our home. But folks, we are called. Our spiritual purpose is to exhaust ourselves. To become spiritually fatigued in order to move people toward full devotion in Jesus Christ. That's our spiritual purpose. To move people toward maturity. See, but notice Paul doesn't work just on his own strength. He relies on the power of Christ as he struggles, as he says, according to his power, which mightily works within me. There's kind of a play on words there. We might translate it this way. Striving according to his energy, which powerfully energizes within me. See, it's not on you. When you get busy about his purpose, he's going to energize you to do his will. He does every time. Here's the big deal. Paul surrendered his availability To God's ability. He surrendered his availability to God's ability, and we have to do the same thing. We have to make ourselves available for God to use. But what do we not have time? We don't have time to do it because we're not available. If you're not faithful, if you're not available, if you're not teachable, God cannot use you. If you want to be used of God to accomplish his purpose, then you're going to have to make yourself available for him to use. See, since Christ is in us, the hope of glory, he will provide us with his supernatural strength and his explosive energy as we labor to propel people towards maturity. But I want you to see the cooperation here. Notice the cooperation between Christ and us. Okay? The work of, of salvation is all Christ and none of me. But in order to live out my purpose, it must be all of Christ and all of me. If I'm going to accomplish what Christ desires in my life. See, this is another ministry, uh, mystery that God would choose us that God would choose you and me in spite of our weaknesses the mystery is that he would choose us in order to help other people come to maturity in him but i want to encourage you don't hold back don't hold back don't become spiritually lethargic don't become lukewarm Let's burn bright, let's kick it up a notch, let's punch the accelerator as we labor and as we lean on Christ for His strength as we move forward. You know, I'm almost done, and let's focus on verse 4 and 5 for just a moment. Verse 4 says, I say this, So that no one will delude you from persuasive argument. For even though I am absent in body, nevertheless I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. You know, even as one germ, as one germ can infect the whole body, Paul recognized the threat of false teaching. And these teachers deceived by using faulty logic and by enticing people with words that sounded good. And their error was carefully packaged and presented. But Paul did not focus on fine sounding arguments. He said in 1 Corinthians 2, he said, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. What I read in this is that Paul delighted in their obedience. He says, For I rejoice, (laughs) rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. You know, these phrases discipline, stability, they're military terms. Paul is there in spirit like a general inspecting the troops before battle. And these orderly soldiers were, he was, he was looking at them and there was no break, there was no breach in, in, in their ranks. And the emphasis on discipline is on individuality. Each of you is disciplined. And when he talks about stability, he's talking about, you know, the, the corporate nature of that. That you all form a, a wonderful block there for that. But when he's talking about discipline, it's on individuality. It's on each and every person doing their part. I kind of envision a picture of the wall builders in Nehemiah. Standing there on the wall with their sword in hand. And their trowel in the other hand. Working, serving, defending. See, we must all be a servant who leads and a leader who serves. That's what we're all called to be. See, this military terminology here helps us to see that through our discipline, through our our obedience, we can be prepared for any kind of battle. But we must do our part. You have to do your part, I have to do my part, we have to do our part. And as each of us does our part, we stand united against the enemy, against the devil, against the one who would assail the church of the living God. Now I want to give you just a a quick inventory here. I've got just a few questions in just a moment, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to have a time of reflection. And in that time of reflection, I just want you to, to, to bow before the Lord and get, get one-on-one with Him and ask the Holy Spirit to examine your heart, to see if there is things in there that, that either don't belong or things that, that you've not turned over to Him. Maybe you've never confessed Him as your Savior and Lord. Maybe there's things that you are doing or you're not doing that you should be doing or that you should not be doing that need to come to Him, that you need to give to Him. So I ask the question how are you doing in these areas? As our praise team comes, don't be distracted, just focus in here. How are you doing in these areas? Are you suffering joyfully? For the gospel. Are you suffering joyfully for the gospel? Are you serving according to your calling? Because if you're not serving in your wheelhouse and the things that makes your heart sing, then what happens is that service becomes drudgery. And pretty soon you begin to resent it and no, no longer do you want to do it. You just want to get away from it. Are you serving according to your calling? Are you moving people toward maturity in Christ? Is your life an example of that? That they could get in behind and draft with you on that? Are you working wholeheartedly with His power and not your own? And lastly, a big one. Are you delighting in obedience? Is it your joy to serve him? For the love of serving Jesus Christ. See, if you feel a bit aimless this morning or even bored in your life and what you're doing, in your purpose, then I want to say re-enlist in active duty in God's army. You've grown cold. If you're aimless, if that's not your purpose, then you need to get back on board with God. See, it's much better to do battle together than to battle each other. And it's a whole lot better to understand your purpose than to go on a walk with, say, a bunch of penguins. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time. And Father, as we move towards a time of self-reflection, spiritual evaluation, of the Holy Spirit just checking our hearts, Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit would just guide us into all truth, that you would show us, Holy Spirit, the reality of of where we are and how broken we are. Father, of how we have not risen to do your purpose and your will. But Father, that we've bought into the lie of the enemy. Father, we've hit pause when we should have hit fast forward. Father, we've, we've dallied when we should have gotten after it. Father, I pray for repentance. I pray that we would be about your kingdom purpose. And Father, maybe we've never heard that before. God, I pray that we would confess that we need you. We need you, Lord Jesus, more than ever. In our homes, in our lives, in our families, in our nation, we need you, Jesus. Father, I pray that in the moments that that follow, that your spirit would move mightily among your people that you would accomplish what you desire this morning in each of our lives. Thank you for being with us, Holy Spirit, and for guiding us. In Jesus' name we pray.